Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Okay, before we jump in, I just want to announce we are now on YouTube. Expat Money Show is now on YouTube. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash YouTube to subscribe to the channel. We're taking all of these interviews. We're putting out the video. There's a lot more interaction. You get to see a lot of the behind the scenes with this. And we're actually going to be doing original videos that are only going to be found on YouTube. So we're going to be doing shorts, different information, different visas, digital nomad products, lots going on. But I need you guys to go and subscribe, show your love, show your support. Go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash YouTube. Let me know what you want to learn about, what videos you want made. Make sure to put comments, hit the bell, etc., etc. You know all of this stuff. Goodness, everybody's been saying it for ages now. I want you to go and subscribe, expatmoneyshow.com forward slash YouTube. If this thing grows, then I'll spend more time and energy and effort growing it even further and putting out better content. If it doesn't grow, well, then I'm not going to continue on. So it's really up to you. If you guys like YouTube, if you want me to put out video content, then show your love. Go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash YouTube. And that's it. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikhail Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today, we're going to be doing a solo episode. I'm going to be talking about Uruguay, my recent trip down there for the very first time, what I went through, the experience, and I've got a ton of notes. So I'm going to try to get through everything as fast as possible because I'm about to jump on an airplane and head to Turkey, Rome, Cyprus, and Lebanon for three weeks or just under four weeks, something like that. Well, my plane leaves in a couple of hours, but I got to leave the house in about one hour. So I'm going to try to get this done as fast as possible. So if I talk really fast, you're going to have to forgive me. Now, I want to get this episode done right now also because I want this to air while I'm away because we've got a really big trip planned to Uruguay later in this year. And I want to make sure that all of my private clients who are going to be joining me on that trip get some information about Uruguay. So this is an episode for everybody, but this is also an episode for my private clients and specifically everyone who will be joining us on our first ever expat exploration and investment tours. If this goes well, and I I fully expect it to, my plan is to do these types of tours a couple times a year. They're really going to be 
only for private clients, maybe a couple of friends or maybe some investors that I work with, but they're definitely invitation only. That means if you would like to work with me, if you would like to move offshore and deal with your tax issues and immigration issues and move to a new country and your wealth and your business and take it all offshore, then what you guys can do is go to expatmoney.com and up in the top right-hand corner, you're going to see a work with us button. You click that big orange button. You read the important letter that I wrote for you. It's going to explain my services, who I can help, how I function. It's going to give you some tips and some tricks and some things in there. And if it sounds like something that you want to do, if you need a helping hand, then you can fill out an application form at the bottom of it. Now, you need to be pretty detailed on the application form because I need to know if this is going to be a good fit or not. You know, I'm very particular about who I work with. First of all, I want to work with people I can help. Second of all, I want to be work with people who are very motivated. And third, I want to work with people who are cool. I am in a fortunate position. I don't have to spend time with just anybody. I can choose to do business with just people that I want to. Anyways, saying all of that, if you want to become a private client, if you want to join us, maybe not for this Uruguay trip. We'll have to see if there's any seats left by the time this airs. But if you want to join on future expat exploration and investor tours, then you have to become a private client. And we're going to be going this route for a lot of the work that I do. People need one-on-one help and there's... A lot to be done with this. I take on a max of five people every single month and the results have been amazing. Massive transformation in people's lives. It's been really fantastic. Anyways, let's get on with today's episode. As I said, I've got a flight to catch, so I don't want to delay. I will tell you that this is going to be a bit of a relaxed episode. I've got some notes. I took a lot of notes while I was there. Some of it is completely from my head. If there are small things that don't add up or small things where I trip on my words or make a mistake, you're just going to have to forgive me this time, okay? All right, let's get started. So first of all, why Uruguay? Where did this come from? Why did I decide to go down there? So I had a couple of private clients of mine come to me and ask questions about Uruguay. And I had to be very honest. I actually did not know too much about the country, but I went out to my network and I got an introduction to a law firm down there and they made a personal introduction. And I started talking with different lawyers from different departments there. So had a two-hour call with the tax department, had an hour and a half call with the people who do the structuring and the trusts. I had a call with the CEO and with the people who run the immigration department, this huge 95-person law firm. So discussed many things, put them through the ringer, lots of due diligence, asked 1,001 questions. They ended up sending their CEO up to Panama to visit me. We spent a half a day together, had sushi here in Panama, and started to build the relationship. And while we were spending the day together, he quickly outlined on the back of a napkin a really excellent trip if if I wanted to come down to Uruguay and, and actually invited me down to be a guest. So my wife and I discussed it and we thought, you know what, this sounds like fun, let's go ahead and do it. So we flew down. We spent, I think, seven or eight days in Uruguay. And we flew into Montevideo. And it wasn't what I was expecting, to be honest with you. I'm so used to Latin America being kind of like Central America or even Colombia, like Northern South America, that I wasn't really prepared for what Uruguay was going to be. First of all, it is not a third world country by any stretch of the imagination. It was actually very developed very safe, very Caucasian. I was surprised we didn't see very many Asians or anything like that. 
not even Asian restaurants or Asian grocery stores or anything. Anytime we go, because my wife is from China, we're always trying to find different food and see what that is like from that cultural aspect. Same with the original local people. You know, we just got back from Peru you know, a couple of weeks ago and you have the Incas. So there was nothing like that in your way. There was no local, local people there. Most of the people are coming from Germany, from Italy, from Spain, Portugal directly. They're second, third, fourth generation. Tons of Germans there. Everybody that I met spoke English, had a second passport from Italy or something like that. Very highly educated population. These are just some notes on, on some of the things that I noticed within my first day or so. When we got into the country, we stayed in Montevideo for the first night, and we stayed at a beautiful hotel there. And it was me, my wife, and my son. My daughter and my mother were not traveling with us on this trip. So we went out for dinner that first night and had a really fantastic churrasco-style barbecue dinner and had lots of cocktails. Actually, if you guys watch the video on YouTube of kind of the teaser of my Uruguay trip, you'll see the first time we take a big drink and we've got a cocktail and stuff, it's at that first restaurant. And that was with a bunch of the lawyers that I had met and everyone. So we had friends basically the day that we walked into the country, which is always really, really nice. So we had rented a car when we arrived. So the very next morning, we jumped in the vehicle and we drove to Colonia, which was like an old colonial type of town and, you know, all cobblestone streets and lots of history and museums. And you can see where they used to have a fort there and the cannons and things like that. And it was really, really gorgeous. We watched the sunset the first night. We did a lot of walking around, a bit of shopping. There was actually an outdoor play going on. So we stopped for 15, 20 minutes and tried to make out what was going on. It was the story of the formation of this town and how that happened. And it was quite interesting. I, I have to be honest, I didn't understand everything. There wasn't a lot of context because we kind of just happened on it, but it was a really cool night. We stayed at the Sheraton, which was gorgeous. It was kind of a resort. So we sat outside in that same video when I jump into the water. It's because it's very cold in Uruguay right now. And the water was like ice water. I couldn't believe how freaking cold it was. But I got in there anyways, and then they had hot springs and hot tubs and saunas and things like that. So great time there. We were only in Colonia for one night, and then we headed back to Montevideo for a night. The next day, we headed to Punta del Este, and this is where we spent the majority of our time, and really where we're going to be spending the time on this expat exploration trip that I'm going to be running in October. And we were really lucky. We stayed at this, I don't even know what it was. I don't know if it was originally a convent or a monastery or a castle, or I'm not sure what it was, but it had this tower, which must have been about eight stories high. And at the top of it, I guess there was a gym and a lookout area. We never made it to the top, but it's this giant castle tower that just shoots out from the top of this 100, 200 year old building with a beautiful garden outside and pools and really like old fashioned, it kind of looked like a bed and breakfast, but very fancy, very exclusive, really, really gorgeous. The next day we started touring real estate. So we must've went and visited probably about a half a dozen or a dozen different residential real estate while we were in Punta Leste. Actually, we had also visited some real estate and I had had a meeting with a real estate broker from Sotheby's Real Estate while I was 
in Montevideo and he actually talked to me about a lot of things. But in Punta del Este, we got to actually see a ton of property. So we spent all day long looking at different places. We looked at houses, we looked at beachfront properties, we looked at apartments, we looked at different condos, rentals, what it would be like just to have a vacation home, anything and everything to give me as much context as possible. So it was a very good experience. I might get my days a little bit mixed up, but I think it was the following day that we went to go and see some of the local farmland investments. So we actually have a friend there who allowed us to come and visit his farm. And it was a gorgeous 500 acre farm that is completely redone and was totally self-sufficient and off the grid if needed. The only thing that they didn't have was power, although they had a huge generator, it was diesel. So the next thing he was putting in was solar there, but they could produce a ton of food. They had, I think, a hundred cattle on site. They had llamas, they had donkeys and dogs and cats and chickens and birds. And there's just so many, they had a whole zoo of animals there. It was unbelievable as well as gardens and everything. So I really liked it. It was so stunning, beautiful. It was probably about an hour outside of Punta del Este, but all rolling hills, really green. You know, it actually reminded me a lot of being in the countryside in southwestern Ontario where I grew up, but actually more beautiful, I would say. While we were in Punta del Este, we also went and visited an open air museum. So this was really neat. He's a famous sculptor from Uruguay, and he spends half his year there and half his year in Italy. And this guy is a national treasure. And they actually built a massive museum, and then they invited other artists from around the world to contribute pieces, and they do this huge indoor and outdoor sculpture museum. It's all modern art. So we walked around that for half a day and saw all the different places. And we were really fortunate because our friends that live in Uruguay knew the sculptor himself, Pablo, and introduced me to his wife. So my wife and me and my son, she picked us up in a golf cart and we drove around the museum for an hour and saw all the different sculptures and she told us all about the stories and she took us to his workshop so we could actually watch him work. It was so incredible to see. And she was telling us that one of these small sculptures, maybe a meter or so high, would sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they go to New York and to Los Angeles, to Italy and France, and they get put in private collections or in museums or at very high-end hotels around the world. So he really is a national treasure there. It was an amazing experience to get to watch him work and see this. One of the other things that we did while we were there was go and visit one of the most amazing vineyards I've ever seen. And it was called Bodega Garzon. And they do really specific types of wine there. And we got an introduction to the manager through the law firm that I'm working with. So he was there waiting for us. First of all, we did, I think, a six course, five, six course degustation menu with tasting wines, et cetera, et cetera. And then the manager took us down below and gave us a private tour of the winery itself. So really first class service. I'd never seen anything like this. I guess the place is owned by an Argentinian billionaire who made his money in the oil and natural gas sector. And he's gone out there and he's purchased a half a dozen wineries and vineyards around the world. But this is the first one that he ever did from scratch. So this was really, really cool to see, you know, someone who has so much experience and when you have unlimited money and you're doing this really as a hobby, then what is it that you put in place? 
they also had a special club that they were telling me about. And I can't remember the exact number to join the club, but you get to make your own wine and you have access to the underground and a fingerprint to get in. You can invite your friends and you do barrels of wine and you can host parties there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was something like $100,000 to be a member and then ten dollars or $20,000 a year to keep your membership active. I thought that was very, very neat, super exclusive. You must really enjoy wine if you were going to do this one, but it was really neat. Some of the other things that we were looking at while we were in Uruguay were the investment opportunities. So Uruguay is really focused on the agricultural side. So they produce a massive amount of food in the country. They have something like 3.5 million people as population of the country, but they produce enough food to feed over 40 million people. So when we talk about a food independent country, Uruguay certainly ticks the box. Now, the main things for investment in the agricultural space is row crops. So I believe they do wheat, barley, rye, and sorghum. I think those were the four main row crops that they do. I think I might be missing one, but I'm going completely from memory here. The other big thing that they do is obviously cattle. And the other one is timber. So the timber that they use, they have two giant timber mills inside Uruguay. They do mostly eucalyptus and some pine. They use this, they mill it, and they use the pulp for paper. So they produce a ridiculous amount of paper in the country. I'm gonna make up a number, it's like 10% or 20% of the world's paper comes from Uruguay. Once again, I can't remember the exact numbers, but just to kind of give you guys an idea of what happens there. So these three big things, the row crops, the cattle, and the timber are their main exports. And they send a lot of this, especially the cattle, to the high-end markets in Japan, in China, in South Korea, these types of countries that really demand high-end beef for their restaurants, for the hotels and everything over there. Now, we had a chance to eat lots of meat while we were there, and it really was unbelievable. We're talking about organic, free-range, natural beef that's actually very healthy for you. We're not talking about giant feed lots or things that destroy the planet or fed just corn and antibiotics and crap like this. No, these cows have free range. They're grazing on different clovers, thousands of different types of grasses and clovers on the hillsides and amazing. So, so, so amazing. Okay. So those were some of the big things just at the high level from while we were there. Now I want to kind of go through some of the notes that I took while I was sitting down with the lawyers or the bankers or the real estate developers or the people who handle the investments in the country. I'm going to try to bang through these as fast as possible. How are we doing on time? We're still good. Okay. I haven't missed my flight yet. So first, I want to talk to you a little bit about the immigration side. Okay, so if you want to do an immigration process there, obviously you're going to have to have a criminal record check with a clean criminal record. And if there has had something in your past, just like with all of these countries, you're definitely going to need to disclose it to the lawyer right off the bat. So you're going to need this criminal record check from your country of birth, as well as any countries that you've lived more than six months during the last five years. So if me, for example, if I was going to go through this, I would need Panama. I would also need the UAE and I would need Canada because I've lived in all of these countries for more than six months during the last five years. You're going to need to show 
proof of funds, so that can be a salary or independent means. If you have rental income or dividends or something like that, which is going to show proof of funds and that you can sustain yourself, then you need to have this. You will do a medical exam in a local clinic. You'll have an MMR and a DT vaccine certificate, and you will need a birth certificate for ID from the country you were actually born in. So even if you immigrated to another country, you're going to need your birth certificate from the country that you were born in. If there were any type of name changes, you're going to need that, and it needs to be certified from the court order. If you're bringing in children, both parents will need to be there, or you'll need a power of attorney, a POA, for the only parent who is there. Parental permission is only valid for one year, so the document needs to be updated. Next was one of the things that I really did not like about Uruguay. Homeschooling is not legal in the country. So to go through your immigration process, your child needs to be registered at a Uruguayan school. Now, I'm sure there are some ways to navigate this, or if your child is already enrolled in a school, for example, like our expat international school at expatschool.io, then we might be able to work something out because we do have an accredited program through the school board in Maine in the U.S. So that might be a way. We've not gone through the process yet, but when I discussed it with the lawyers in Uruguay, they said that there might be a way to make a case for this. So if this is you, if you're bringing children in and you want to homeschool or you want to do some type of online education, then please reach out to us at the school at expatschool.io and we'll see if we can solve this for you. Okay, moving on. There is no national service in Uruguay. So another thing to understand is that Uruguay will grant you citizenship, but not nationality after you've lived there for a certain amount of time. So what this means, and this is really specific for Americans, if Americans are looking to renounce their U.S. citizenship, Uruguay is not a viable option because you're able to get citizenship, but not nationality, and you can't be stateless, then this will not work. So you would actually have to go out there and get another passport and Uruguay could be your second citizenship. They're looking at redoing the law, but for some reason they make a distinction between citizenship and nationality. So sometimes what we've done with the clients is we'll get them a citizenship and a nationality in St. Kitts or Antigua and Barbuda. And then if they want to come down to Uruguay and they want to go to their path on naturalization, then that will work. And eventually they'll be able to renounce their U.S. citizenship. But just Uruguay is not going to work unless you were born in that country. And then, of course, that is fine. When I was discussing with the lawyers about citizenship, they said that you actually have a very high chance of getting citizenship if you have a strong case. So this means actually living in the country, building a case for yourself, building a life for yourself, owning property or a business, you know, having your child enrolled in a school there, paying taxes, uh, a library card, etc. All of these types of things that we would need to show a strong case. If you go through it, you will get your citizenship there. And I'm going to talk about the time frames in a minute, but I think that this is really interesting because when we talk about some of the other countries for naturalization, they say, oh, well, you can make an application 
after five years, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be approved at five years. It can take many, many, many years. I even had a friend who lived in Switzerland for close to 20 years and still could not get citizenship there, even though they had gone through the length for the naturalization process. Your interview for your citizenship will be done in Spanish, so definitely you're going to need to make sure that your Spanish is at a high level. Okay, just some more notes here for entering into the country right now. As of this recording, you do not need to be vaccinated to enter the country. You just need a test to enter. The borders have been open since November 1st of 2021, and there is no quarantine or anything like that to enter in. That is as of today's recording. Okay, let's dig deeper into Uruguay citizenship and passport. Okay, you have to be a legal resident of Uruguay and you have to be over 18 years old to have the possibility to apply for a Uruguay citizenship and obtain your passport. The application for legal citizenship can be made after three years if you're married or five years if you're single to apply for your legal citizenship. So this is probably one of the fastest programs that I've ever seen for naturalization. If you're married, three years is a walk in the park. That is super, super easy. Okay, one of the most important things to remember though, and this is really important, so pay attention. If you are going through the naturalization process and you're living in the country and you've done your three years, you can't be outside of Uruguay for more than six months. You need to be spending at least 183 days in the country every single year, and they will be checking on this. So it's really important that you're really spending the time in Uruguay when you're going through your naturalization process. Okay, the citizenship process will be held in front of the electoral court, the EC. The requirements are to start your citizenship process. You must have a birth certificate in the Uruguayan format, which will be necessary to submit the Uruguayan format of your birth and marriage certificates, if applicable, to prove your age and nationality proof of entry into the country. So you're going to need the certificate of issue of the National Immigration Office stating your entry to the country, your migration movements throughout the required period of time, and your legal status as a resident. You're going to need proof of residency and social insertion into the country. You must prove your connection to the country. This is what I was saying earlier. The social insertion to Uruguay may be proved through different means, such as commercial activity in the country, such as registration at the Banco de Provisión Social, BPS, for the case of active employees, for proof of employment or pension received in Uruguay, or you can do proof of employment or pension received in Uruguay. You can have a bank account statement only from local branches. You can have the deed from real estate and property lease agreements and professional degrees, bachelor's degrees, or any other type of cultural activities in Uruguay. You're going to need proof of professional advice and health assistance. The electoral court may accept as an additional way of proof is a certificate issued by a professional, such as a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist or among any other services that may be used, stating all the appointments as scheduled in detail. So you're going to need proof of membership in a local health insurance as being part of the national health system, proof of membership to any sport, cultural or social clubs, and all documents must be notarized. So this should be pretty convenient because the Notary Republic Department will be able to carry this out for you and issue the certification as required by the authorities. So you guys may have seen in the email newsletter that I got 
expatmoney.com. This is a URL that I have been wanting to get for like six years now. Some other company had it based out of Dubai and they wouldn't sell it to me. They weren't even using it. They weren't doing anything with it, but they wouldn't sell it to me. The guy just said, I'm going to hold on to it and you can't have it. So I tried to negotiate and we went back and forth many, many, many times over the years and I finally negotiated it. I'm not going to tell you how much it cost, but it was not cheap. I paid a pretty penny for this. So the main website going forwards for all of my work is going to be expatmoney.com. We still have expatmoneyshow.com, but that's really going to be designated just for the podcast itself. But on the other one, we're going to have webinars. We have new articles. We started a new blog. We've got new lead magnets. We even started a store on there that we're going to be selling different courses and programs. So there's going to be tons of exciting things happening at expatmoney.com. So you guys can go there, check out the new website, let me know what you think, and then bookmark the website because you're going to want to come back literally every single week because we got so much exciting things coming out. So expatmoney.com. I'm really excited. I hope you guys are too. There's going to be lots of cool stuff there for you. Okay, let's get to the interview. Okay, moving on. Proof of identity. You must come up with two witnesses who may be able to declare your bond to Uruguay. They must be Uruguayan citizens. They have to be over the age of 25 years old, and they must have a Uruguayan voting card. The witnesses cannot be family members, employees, employers, members of the armed forces or police, notaries or lawyers. So the process begins with a personal visit to the electoral court. In this occasion, the authorities will review the documents to be submitted, proceed to an open a file and set up a hearing that will be scheduled within a period of 90 days from that day. On the day of the hearing, you must show up in person and you have to bring the witnesses that were selected. If the electoral court considers that the witnesses do not comply with their demands, they may request that the presence of a new witness and or additional written proof be submitted. If this were the case, the new hearing will be held upon scheduling. During the hearing, the applicant and his two witnesses will go through and must answer a brief questionnaire. As the final stage, the electoral court will go over the documents submitted and review the original statements taken under oath during the hearings. Okay, from there, the court will officially issue your citizenship document as proof that your legal citizenship has been approved from that moment on. Then you're going to get your identity card, your cedula de identidad, and it must be renewed as a legal citizen. The cedula de identidad will be valid and automatically renewable on a term of 10 years. From there, you're going to get your passport. So once the ID, the cedula de identidad, has been issued as a legal citizen, the Uruguayan passport may be obtained immediately. Did you hear that? You get your passport immediately. That does not normally happen. <laughs> then you're going to get your voting card. As a Uruguayan legal citizen, and after the first three years that have elapsed since the issue of your citizenship document, you may register in the electoral court to obtain your voting card. This document is mandatory to vote in Uruguay. You will also give the possibility to allow and work for the government and be part of any political party. Not that you guys probably are interested in that, but these are just some of the things that was communicated to me when I did my research on all of this. Okay, moving on. So I was also asking while I was at their offices about birth tourism, and this was my question 
to them. If an expat or a tourist were to give birth in Uruguay, what would happen? How would the child be viewed? Would this count as a strong ties for the parents to remain in the country and secure their permanent residency? I was told that, yes, this is a good question. So what happens is basically if you are an expat from outside of South America and your child is born there, the child will automatically be a Uruguayan citizen. Now, there is a short process for parents to go through the Foreign Affairs Ministry under Act Number 19254, and it's a process that requires a lot less paperwork. So what you're going to need is you're going to need your birth certificates apostilled, criminal records apostilled, vaccine certificates, depending on the parent's age, and this is for the MMR and DPT vaccines opposed to anything to do with COVID, okay? You're going to need your passports and your Uruguay birth certificate or cedula of the Uruguayan child, of your child. So I thought this was pretty interesting. We gave birth in Brazil to our son, and the entire process was a complete nightmare. The amount of documentation that we needed to show to get the passport for our son and to get our residency must have been about an inch and a half thick. It took months to gather these documents, and it was a lot more complicated than this. So I thought this was really, really interesting. Okay, moving on, let's discuss taxation a little bit in Uruguay. So Uruguay has three main types of taxes. They have individual tax, which is local sourced only. Then they have an asset tax, and then they have a 22% service charge, basically a VAT. But this does not apply to foreign sourced income. So their labor tax ranges anywhere from 0 to 36%. But when you come in, your first 10 years, you're going to be on a tax holiday on income from abroad. So basically foreign sourced income. And only at the 11th year and onwards is it a 12% on interest and dividends. You, and you don't need a tax treaty for any of this to be in place. So how to be a tax resident in Uruguay? Well, the first is the easiest, and this applies to most countries in the world. If you spend more than 183 days in the country in a year, that's going to make you a tax resident. If you spend $400,000 plus on real estate plus 60 days, you can become a tax resident in Uruguay. Or if you spend $1.6 million in real estate, you don't have to spend any days there, but you're going to need to prove your connection to the country. So being a tax resident in Uruguay can be super advantageous. Now, asset tax. There is tax inside of Uruguay. So there are taxes on agricultural land, but there are very easy ways to have these subsidized. They have municipal taxes there, which come in at 0.5% of the market value on your property tax, kind of as an average. And as we said earlier, there's a 22% VAT cost of living. Now, this doesn't include basic food or basic medication, but you can really think of it as this tax is going to come in on it at pretty much 99% of the things that you buy in the country. So from the VAT side, it is very, very heavy. But with the 10-year tax holiday on foreign sourced incomes, it is quite good. So they have quite a simple tax system. They're not overly aggressive or authoritarian in their taxes. The filing is quite easy and the disclosure, and there's no disclosure on net worth or anything that comes with this. So when I discussed the tax situation there and I had multiple conversations with them, they really tried to highlight to me how easy it was to go through a tax return there, which I think that is very interesting considering it is getting more and more complicated in the countries that we come from. So a simplified system is a lot better. Now, I asked them about cryptocurrency and how the tax laws are viewed on this. This is what they told me. 
There are currently no laws surrounding cryptocurrency, and there's no tax on crypto if done correctly and structured correctly. They have a very friendly environment towards crypto, and there is friendly banking when it comes to crypto. So you can hook up with exchanges. You can use this as an on-ramp and off-ramp. And since 1999, there has been a total tax exemption on businesses that have to do with software. So if you're doing a startup with crypto, this might be a good place to look up setting up shop. Now, I did discuss with them mining crypto there. They said that the cost of electricity is extremely high there. So not good for crypto mining whatsoever. They do have a couple of free trade zones there. 10% of their GDP is done through their free trade zone, and they have a 25% flat corporate tax rate on net profits. And if you are making less than $500,000 a year with your corporation, then you can apply for a reduction to 12% flat tax rate. While I was in Uruguay, I discussed inflation with the lawyers and with the investors there on multiple occasions. What I was told was that, yes, the local currency does have inflation. They're looking at probably 8 or 9% in local currency. But for all larger processes and purchases in the country, they're always quoted in U.S. dollars. So if you're purchasing land or a car or an investment or farmland, it's always done in U.S. dollars. Now, a lot of these assets will keep up with inflation. They'll be kind of pegged to that amount. So you really only have to deal with inflation from the U.S. side, which is very high at the moment. But the land or any of these investments should keep up with this. And then a lot of these will be producing cash. So we were looking, I don't want to quote too many numbers on like a guaranteed return or anything, but they were anywhere from mid single figures to low double figures with some of the investments that we had talked about the agricultural plays. Now this is very dependent on the exact property, but all of these are purchased and processed in US dollars. So really the numbers that you get, you can pretty much expect in your pocket because it's not gonna get eaten up all with inflation. Okay, moving on, we're doing pretty good here. All right, I wanted to talk to you about purchasing firearms because I know a lot of my people are very interested in self-defense and owning a firearm. Now, Uruguay is known as one of the best countries in the world to own firearms in. So straight away, it is possible even for expats to own a firearm in the country. Okay, so here are some of my notes that I took from while I was there. So where can the process take? So you actually make an application online and it's the gub.uy if you type that into your browser. So you make the application online. If you guys go to gub.uy, you're gonna be able to fill out the application there. Then you go to the police station that corresponds with the jurisdiction of where you're living in Uruguay. So after you've gone through the residency process that we discussed earlier, you would go to that police station in that jurisdiction to make the in-person section of this. So the requirements are your proof of address in Uruguay. You're gonna need the certificate of judicial reports, a photocopy of your ID card, and a certificate of mental and physical aptitude issued by medical professionals and psychologists or by health institutes that are all authorized by the Ministry of Public Health. You're gonna need proof of income, in case of being a dependent worker, you must present your work history with information from the last year. And if you are an independent or an entrepreneur, you must present a certificate issued by a notary public or the public accountant for the last 12 months prior to the application. 
when the thata is processed for the first time, T-H-A-T-A is processed for the first time. In addition to what we just mentioned, you are going to need to present a certificate of sustainability in the handling of weapons, which will be issued by the training centers of the Ministry of National Defense, the Ministry of the Interior, and the private training institutions authorized by the Ministry of the Interior. You're going to need to carry out a theoretical practical test, so basically a written test, which will be carried out by the police certifier to evaluate the sustainability in the use of handling firearms, and the interested party must attend the test accompanied by an instructor linked to the training center who will provide the weapon and ammunition. The basis for the theoretical practical test are published on the police educational portal. If you guys go to www.enp.edu.ey, you're going to find them there. So what does this all mean? Well, let's look at the guns that you're actually allowed in the country because I think that this is probably the fun bit. So you are allowed a pistol. It has to be a semi-automatic of any brand and the caliber does not exceed a nine millimeters, limiting the capacity of the magazine to 21 per cartridge, except for said limitations exclusively to those who use in competitions or in practical shooting workouts. The acquisition and the possession of civilians of revolvers of any brand and any caliber, except calibers greater than 45 or 11.25 millimeters. Shotguns limiting their type of operation or auction actuation. This must be a semi-automatic or a manual means of bolt, lever, trombone, or plunger. False repetition, double barrel shotguns in their superimposed or juxtaposed and loading of the unit of shot, single shot. The limitation also encompasses shotguns with barrels shorter than 400 millimeters. This allowable load of exchange of shotguns is limited to eight cartridges at most in their magazine. Magazine of any other type of cartridges any other type of changeable cartridges storages as an appropriate type to the weapon. Okay, long firearms. So, with a long firearm, you can have a bolt, lever, trombone, scale, single shot, or semi-automatic drive in the feeding of the long gun of a central fire is by means of a removable magazine. This should have a maximum of five cartridges. The long weapons of a ring fire type rifles and carbines with a caliber of less than or equal to 22, which may be manually operated, once again, blah, 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 or semi-automatic drive. If feeding the long gunfire annual is by means of a removable charge, this must have a maximum of 10 cartridges. Okay, to buy ammunition, you must present the current position guide of the weapon for which said ammunition is acquired and the title of the qualification for the acquisition and possession of weapons and the holder concur with his valid ID. Whew, that was a lot. You know, I'm sure I made a ton of mistakes in there trying to go through all of these rules and then use translation features and Google Translate and all of this is really fun. So if I made any mistakes on that, I thoroughly apologize, but I thought that was pretty cool and I want to try to get that information in your hand. All right, I got to run. Yeah, my Uber. I got to take my Uber in about nine minutes. So I'm going to wrap up this episode. I hope this has been educational. I hope that you guys got some value out of this. Uruguay is a gorgeous country. It really, really is. I had a lot of fun there. I met up with a lot of friends. 
I got to see a lot of investments. I spent breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the lawyers there, ate tons of nice food, drank wine, got to hang out with so many cool people, and really started to fall in love with the country. You know, it's one of these places that is not talked about very much. I'm not exactly sure why. I'm still learning. We're doing our second trip down there in October. I'm taking down my clients for, as I said, the expat exploration and investment tour. These are going to become a regular thing. We have some other countries planned for next year. This will be the only one for 2022. Might run it again in 2023, depending on the feedback, but we might just keep going to new countries. These are going to be available to all of my private clients. If you guys want to work one-on-one with me, if you want to move offshore, if you want to take your business, your wealth, if you want to restructure thing, if you want to mitigate your taxes, if you just want to have a bit of fun and an adventure and get out of all the divisiveness and all of this horseshit that's happening in the world right now and find a safe, peaceful place to live your life, then you can make an application to work with me. I would be happy to work with you. You know, I'm a bit particular, but as long as you are a cool person, as long as you are very motivated and you will actually get the work done and you are serious about these things, even if you're not serious about moving overseas at this exact moment, but you want to have that plan B, you want to have things in place in case you need them, then reach out to me. So go to expatmoney.com top right-hand corner, there's a big orange button. It says, work with me. There's an important letter there that I want you to read. You know, carve out 10 minutes, 20 minutes, go through it in detail. See if this is something that is interesting to you. If it is, then I want you to fill out a detailed application form at the bottom. I go through each of the applications myself. I read every single line. And from there, I'll make a decision if this is something that I want. We might take a call together. We might not. We'll have to see on your situation. But that's it. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I'm going to go catch my flight. I will talk to you guys very, very soon. Peace. I hope you guys enjoyed today's interview. Before you guys go, what I want you to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. Listen, if you guys are going to be an expat, a digital nomad, if you're going to travel, world school, all this fun stuff, build your business overseas, it's really important that you learn the local languages. Don't just go out there and speak only English. I promise you'll have a much richer experience. You'll get a lot more out of the relationships that you build. And you know what? It's honestly a lot of fun. So what I want you to do, if you guys are interested in learning another language, go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. You're going to be able to check out the really amazing language programs that my really good friend Ollie Richards does. I really like these programs. I fully endorse them. And you know what? My listeners have had great success with them over the years. So check it out. Go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash languages, and we will see you in next week's episode. Great. Have a good day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming 
to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.